Hello and welcome to the CigarCast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Crown Cigars and Ales here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Devin. I messed that up. I'm the Smoke Master General, Trey Devin. I'm sitting across from Mr. Shane Reeves. You know, how did we not record outside today? I, this is where you put the equipment. Uh, well, I just set it in a chair. I didn't unpack it at all, but it's, it's beautiful, man. Is there anything better than Tennessee in fall? We finally hit fall on the first day of fall. It's, it's as if Mother Nature knew the calendar. Yeah, maybe those meteorologist guys know what they're talking about every now and then. Well, it's also been, I don't know if you saw what I posted on social media earlier this week. Roses are wet, violets are wet, everything's wet. Please stop raining. <laughs> no, I, I love the rain. My food plots needed the rain desperately. They needed the rain. They didn't need that much rain. It oh, rained yeah. nonstop from Saturday until this morning about 3 a.m. And when did we start closing schools for rain? Well, there was some flooding happening in Rutherford County. Okay, so those kids don't have to go to school. That's well, not how it works, and you go. know it. No, it has to do with bus safety. If one of those buses gets cross, gets caught in a cross stream and kills 30 children, and you can't just not run one bus. Sure you can. No, you can't. If the dummy driving the bus drives through the flowing river, that's a problem. That's a problem that needs addressed far before he drives through the river. No, but you can't you can't tell kids from one neighborhood because think about how this looks if you if you say it a certain way. You can't deny kids from a certain neighborhood the access to education even for one day. If you're going to allow kids from another neighborhood to have access to that so education. So you must deny every so your answer is to bring everybody down rather than anybody getting ahead of anyone else. If you phrase it like that, <laughs> I mean, that's what you're saying. No, it's not. It's because, but public schools have, have extra days baked into the calendar to account for snow, adverse weather, epidemics, I- any number of things. I mean, especially now that with the year that we've just been through, I mean, it, there's plenty of ways around having school in person for a day. Oh, yeah, but it's been proved an abject failure. No, Online, it hasn't. Oh, yes. Look at all the statistics. Online learning statistically has been an abject failure. There's absolutely no statistic that will say it was successful. When you look it up, you will not find any statistics saying it was successful. It was an abject failure. Yeah, but I don't think it was an abject failure. I don't. Okay, but you're. But the statistics bear out but, but, that it was. But they. But they don't because they don't factor in the fact that this was. This was curriculum. I mean, the failure was on the part of the fact that there was no contingency plan in place. That this curriculum was having to be adapted and created on the fly. I know plenty of kids who are thriving in an online environment. Now, my own kid is not one of those. She does much better in an in-person. If anything, I think the the variance in in methodologies to get education in front of kids and allow them to create a learning environment that's more conducive to their own styles is a good thing. I mean, I got my bachelor's degree online. I thrive in an online environment. I never did well in in-person classes. So not every kid is the same. No, but you must talk about the 80%, and the statistics bear out the 80% did not do well in the online environment. But the 80% were thrown into a chaotic environment. It wasn't a well-thought-out, planned uh, curriculum or environment. So I think you, you can say that the, the overall success of kids in school last year was worse than the year prior, and I, absolutely. But that's not a failure on the part of online learning. That's a failure on the part of the fact that we were not prepared to transition these kids into a different type of environment well. I don't agree with you. I understand where you're coming from. I don't agree with you because I think reality is reality. And the reality, when you break it down to the the basic is... They didn't learn as well online. Regardless of the cause, they didn't learn as well online as they do in person. But you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater then because okay. it, because you do have to look at the cause. You know, that's, that, that, that's what it, that, you know, to say I, I spent three hours in meetings today talking exactly about that kind of principle of like, okay, this is a symptom. We don't need to, you know, we don't need to throw away the whole principle based on a faulty correlation. Well... Good trees don't have bad roots. And if at the root of it, it's bad, 
then it's not going to produce fruit. Yeah, but my point is that the online learning environment is the leaf, not the root. But when the as it was planted, and I agree, if they had knew this was coming, if any of us knew this was coming, we could do. But ifs and whys and maybes are not not worth discussing. You have to go with what happened, what needs to happen next. Yeah, but to, but to say to get rid of all online learning because that was the method that was chosen. and I'm not saying get rid of it. I'm just saying don't consider it a viable option till you get it right. Okay, that I'll, I'll, that, sure. Okay, so let's talk about our cigar. Enough, enough of that. We we'll, don't we'll, usually argue that hard at this early end of the show. I need yeah. to get a cigar lit before we do that. We'll, we'll argue about the Drew Estate thing after we get our cigar lit. All right. <laughs> and I'll, I'm looking forward to that. So we are smoking this week the Fiat Lux Acumen 6x56. It's from Luciano. It's distributed through Crowned Heads. And is it made in the Pachardo factory? Yes. I believe it is. And I'll wrappers Ecuadorian Sumatra. The binder's Nicaraguan. The filler is Dominican and Nicaraguan. Um, is like it actually them. blended by Luciano Moreas? Yes. Yes, by Luciano's Cigars. And I like the look of it. You know, one of the things that attracted me to the cigar is I did like the way the wrapper looked. Because if you notice, it's got that Habano hue rather yeah. than that pure Connecticut, that almost yellow Connecticut hue. And it's got a mottled texture, mm-hmm. which I really, which I really like. It shows a little bit of age. Yeah, I'm excited. And this is the first in the Fiat Lux line, um, which is actually Latin for Let There Be Light. And um, I'm interested to smoke it. I want to see what it's going to taste like. I've I've not smoked it. I picked this up over a week ago, and I said, no, I don't want to smoke it till I can smoke it on, on the podcast where I can really enjoy it. So that guy in the parking lot is driving a Let There Be 500? Absolutely. Well, no, you don't say Lux. It just says Fiat. Yeah. Which fiat. Lux is light. Right. So Fiat would be let there be. Okay. I thought it was fix it again, Tony. <laughs> I thought that's what Fiat stood for. That too. <laughs> but anyway, so very excited to get this thing fired up and try it out. I am too. And it, this, I, I wonder how much of this is a me thing and how much of this is a universal truth. Look at the difference in that cut. Okay. I just barely took the tip off, and you've you've whacked her way down there. <laughs> There's still that yeah. is a, that is a perfectly acceptable level of cut. But if you compare it to mine, you just shaved it. I did. I just you gave went, it a good went, firm shave. No, you went too shallow. Oh no, you absolutely did. Anyway, we'll we'll see how they smoke. Okay. So I'm trying to figure out if this is a me thing or if this is a universal truth because I'm looking at the label on this cigar and obviously with the with a name like Fiat Lux like it, it I, I I don't know for me it definitely fits with the font they've used and the style this is very Art Deco looking is there anything in this world that is not made better by Art Deco design Yes, yeah, stove hoods. One of my builders sells a lot of stove hoods that are Art Deco, and they just look old and junky. Okay. And all stove hoods, vent hoods. But by and large, Art Deco is the absolute best. I, don't, I think you got to like old stuff to like Art Deco. It's not a big thing of mine. I'm not a big fan well, of old you're, stuff. You're all about efficiency, and building a building out of 600-pound you know, subway tiles made of marble is is hardly a model of efficiency. So I can I can see how it wouldn't necessarily be your but the clean lines and the crisp edges, I would think you'd be all about that. I don't know that it's necessarily the everything art deco, but I will say this is an outstanding label. I like the simplicity of it. This ain't like the cigar we smoked last week that had a ream of paper wrapped around it. I mean, really very good. And on the initial puff, um very very nutty. I'm getting a little bit of that nuttiness flavor out of it. Muddy. Not nutty. <laughs> In. And yeah. Very little, nutty. Yeah. Getting a lot of that nuttiness flavor out of it. And it's it's interesting. This is this is bizarre. I'm getting kind of a a chest specifically kind of a chestnut. It's reminding me of Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like smoking Christmas. Yeah. And all, but I, I like the rich. Do you see that rich, thick plume of smoke that comes off of it? I'm when always you light a big it. fan of that. Yeah. And I'm really, really happy about that. So let's talk about our first article from Cigar Journal. One Vitola, three types of storage. 
So this is a German study done on Habano's Day in 2016. And I would need a Habano's Day. And I'm sure there is one. I'm sure there's oh, I'm a, sure. a National Habano's Day. So here's what they did. They took cigars, that all the same stick, the same Vitola, and they stored them three different ways. They stored them in a refrigerator, in a wine cellar, and in a humidor as we would store them to see what was really the best way. And then... For our note for our note takers at home, the refrigerator was forty three to forty six degrees Fahrenheit, so it cold. The uh, the wine cellar was fifty four to sixty four degrees Fahrenheit, so cool. I wouldn't go as far as to call it cold. Uh, the cigars need a light jacket, and sixty to eighty percent humidity. Whereas the the humidor was 70% humidity, 66 to 82 degrees Fahrenheit. And another important part of this that they did, they did bring the cigars back to humidity before they smoked them. Mm-hmm. They didn't just pull them out of the refrigerator and stick them in their mouth. They, and, they brought them back. And they were stored in, you know, appropriate humidity levels or, you know, industry standard conditions for a period of time before putting them into these. So they weren't just, they didn't let them dry out or they didn't overhumidify them first. Right. They did a great study. They did a great job. The Germans do a great study. And uh, 150 sticks of the Protagus Series D number four of a boxing date of 2013. And um, they the cigars were individually weighed, and they were too heavy or too light were discarded. So they did a great job of really getting this study down. The, the key to any study or trial or experiment is limiting the number of variables. And I, I think this is one of the most scientifically approached and thorough studies of the effects of varying conditions on cigars that I've ever seen. So, I'm, so before we get into the study... When you think about the concept of the study, I would definitely say stored in the refrigerator, no. I would, I would be a no on stored in the refrigerator for any reason for cigars. Stored in the wine cellar, though, you probably could have talked me into that before this study. Prior to this study, you probably could have talked me into storing them in the wine cellar. Yeah, especially, so, uh, not to nerd out too much, but I do want to, to point out that... So when you start talking about relative humidity, which is what we always talk about, this is the percentage. So that is, at a given temperature, the amount of water vapor that's floating around free in the air. So those two things are intrinsically connected. And so a lower humidity at a higher temperature and a higher relative humidity at a lower temperature, there is a point at which those intersect as being the actually the same amount of, the same um, actual amount of water vapor in the air at any given time. And that's why, for me, okay, so the the wine cellar is cooler, but it's up to 80% humidity. I would, I would think that would balance out. And don't you love that the way they quote the study is they put the German and the English right there? Mm-hmm. And uh, how, how great is it that Geschmack means taste? <laughs> no, I, I love that. But anyway, so they, they judged it on five different categories, or six, excuse me, six different categories. They judged the bouquet, the draw, the visual appearance, the aroma, the strength, and the taste. And they compared these three versions, and I, I won't go into breaking down every single detail, but by and large, the refrigerator was the worst. The second was the wine cellar, and conventional storage was the best. And uh, when you just when you look at the statistics broke down, and by the gap between refrigerator and conventional versus the gap between wine cellar and conventional was huge. Yeah, refrigerator by far the worst place. And uh, I mean, there were there were several several instances throughout here where just to to put that in a little bit different terms the the gap or, or there were several instances in here where the wine cellar actually outperformed the traditional storage but there was no scenario in which the refrigerator outperformed either of the other two and you know and these are hard studies cuz this you are getting very subjective cuz um, when they talk about draw, it goes from too light to too strong. Um, I would imagine uh, just so one of the keys to effective presentation of data 
is to remove null values. So it may not be that those were the only two points of measurement on their scale, but it may be that they were the only two points with values attributed to them. Yeah, you have to have to an them. upper and a lower parameter. Yeah. I've never had a cigar that the draw was too light. I have. Yeah, so that's a difference. In our, that's uh, Again, it's perception. And uh, I've had many of them that the draw was too tight, but I've never had one that the draw was too light. Have you never had one? Because you, you've used the term before, like you like it to be, your ideal cigar is like drawing through a straw. Absolutely. I don't even want to know I'm smoking a cigar. See, that is too light for me. There needs to be some resistance. Now, even if it's just something like putting a pipe cleaner through that straw where you're not getting a whole lot of resistance, but just enough. So, yeah, I can definitely understand too light a draw. And, uh, you know, that's it's it's very subjective. And uh, visual appearance. Okay, let's talk about visual appearance. How important is visual appearance in the cigar? You and I spent 45 seconds at the top of the show describing and talking about how much we appreciated the physical appearance of the cigars we're smoking. So I'd say it's better. It's more than zero. It is more than zero, but if I've got somebody sitting there telling me, hey, this is a great stick, I'll pick it up and smoke it and look at it later. Now, if I'm in the humidor and I'm choosing the stick, the visual appearance is going to make a difference. Well, and, and if you think of it in the context of this study, I think you have to approach it from a standpoint of, of if you were approaching this cigar in the wild. Mm-hmm. Like, as, as if you were t- taking right, that trip into the humidor, have... not being offered by a friend. Because I, I agree with you. When someone hands me a cigar, I you know, I just take it and smoke it. I, I'm not terribly concerned with how it looks. But just a really interesting study. I really like the way they constructed this study. And also the results, um, basically, when they, the final analysis, um, they're Irgabanisi. <laughs> taste development during the smoke. Cigar 1, which was stored in the humidor, had about a 38% of... Okay, now this is what I understand. None light, clearly dissimilar, positive development, negative development. What are you looking at? Look at the little chart down Oh, the one on the left. Mm -hmm. Okay. And also, taste development during the smoke. So that's what they're analyzing here is, depending on how you store them, how does the taste develop during the smoke? Yeah, so they're saying 38% or or 27% of respondents for the refrigerated cigar said that the taste did not develop at all. It was flat throughout. And then 38% said there was a light change. Um, 9% said uh, clearly discernible. 13% said positive development. And 13% said negative development. It got worse. Well, and so the biggest, what I get from this chart, the biggest pie graph piece I get is in Cigar 2, which was the conventionally storage, 41% said positive development of right. the taste during it. And that's huge. That's by and far, the other two were both at 13%. So that's by and far out distancing storing the cigars in the refrigerator or the wine cellar. Right. And, uh, and which cigar would you smoke to the end? Uh, number two was 72%. And then it was a small gap between refrigerator and wine cellar. 13% for the wine cellar and 15% for the refrigerator. Yeah. So, interesting study. And, uh, for, those, for those of us that are real cigar nerds, that's just a lot of great data. And you can go to CigarJournal.com and type in one Vitola, three types of storage, and they'll get, and you can view this study on that. See, it's interesting to me. So this is where I was talking about, and we're going long on this, so I won't beat this dead horse anymore. But if you go down to aroma, and this is what I think is interesting, is so uh, good aroma for the traditionally stored was 45% compared to, wait, yeah, was 45% compared to 15% with the one in the wine cellar. But it was 15% to 10% in favor of the wine cellar as very good aroma. So I, over, overall, if you, if you balance it all out, the, the bell curve of the traditionally stored cigar is still going to surpass. But in terms of people who found it very, very good aroma, it was outweighed by the wine cellar. And I can see that. 
I can too. I can I can definitely see that in the wine cellar because that's what the wine cellars are kind of built to do, and all to let things really develop out. So I can understand that. But I'm so the the end results of the study are if you're if you're looking to store your cigars, store them traditionally. If you've got a wine cellar, it'll do in a pinch, and don't put them in the refrigerator. Although, if you look, again, looking specifically to the one on taste, or geschmack, as you were so happy to pronounce earlier, um, it's very clearly, in my opinion, uh, in favor of the wine cellar. Ten percent, yeah, very 10% good compared to two. Yeah. But but then you go down to good, and it's twenty percent compared to fifteen. Yeah, satisfactory forty eight percent over twenty seven percent. But if you add up all of the you know the good, satisfactory, good, and very good, it still favors out the the wine cellar. I just find that interesting. That's aroma and taste together. I wonder if that kind of goes to the. I don't know. I don't know where I was going. I, well, I could spend all day on this, yeah, being such a data and cigar nerd. I don't know enough about the construction of a wine cellar and all what goes into the actual construction of a wine cellar to really be as informed on this as I would. I've never had to build a wine cellar. I've, I've built escape tunnels. I've built hidden rooms. I've built secret passages. Uh, the bat pantry is one of our most favorite features of all of the houses that we build. But I've never built a wine cellar. In all the houses I've drawn in Tennessee, we've never done a wine cellar. Now, gun rooms, more gun rooms than you can shake a stick at. Oh, I'm sure. And uh, Okay, next article. Drew Estate announces Bitcoin sweepstakes. Why? Why not? Because it's gimmicky and stupid. It's not gimmicky. It's not stupid. <laughs> okay, it's a cigar company. Yeah. Give me a cigar. Give me some cigar-related items. Or stroke me a check. For $43,000? Yes. Stroke me a check. I'd be more than happy. As a matter of fact, I would what take difference half is of that. What difference is it? So one of the things that's so interesting about I mean, you are such a Luddite when it comes to cryptocurrency. And I don't, I don't pretend to know all there is to know about it, but I do know it's here to stay. And you and I disagree on that point. I know. One year from now, on September 22nd, when it is the crash to the ground, then... We will see. Okay. But I can tell are, you. Are that. you talking specifically about Bitcoin or about all crypto? When Bitcoin falls, the rest will not be far behind. No, it won't. No. Uh, on that, you are wrong because um, with each different now cryptocurrency that comes out in the wake of Bitcoin success, they're doing things to make the next one better. And, and they're actually improving. They're limiting quantities they're doing things that make them actually more secure and more sustainable than the US currency it's still imaginary money so is the US dollar do i lay a 100 dollar bill down it has impact yeah, you, having you, a physical representation of the money doesn't make the money real. Sure it does. No, it doesn't. <laughs> what it's, it, okay. it's backed by nothing. So it's what else the, is the value real if not a physical manifestation? <laughs> what else could be real that's not a physical manifestation? The value of the U.S. dollar is manipulated and inflated and deflated at the whim of governments and the Fed. But not Saturday Night Live. No. I mean, so, which is what cryptocurrency, cryptocurrency took a big dip when Elon Musk mentioned it on Saturday Night Live. One particular <laughs> cryptocurrency, which was a meme one, which was Dogecoin, which is just based off of a meme, was the one that took a significant hit. Sure. Is it volatile? Absolutely. But it's not going anywhere. And the, the thing is, so it's it's fun. I, I fully support this this sweepstakes because it's, it's lighthearted, it's fun, and... As of right, as of a couple of days ago, uh, a single Bitcoin, a whole Bitcoin, was worth about forty-two thousand dollars, forty-six thousand um, dollars. So, by time this happens, it could either be worth a nickel, it could be worth sixty-four thousand dollars. Like, it, they're they're basically they're basically giving you an investment. And that's what I think is so cool about this is they're not just saying, hey, we're going to cut a check for $46,000. They're saying, we're going to give you this variable valued prize. It would be interesting to know how many people 
and because I know it's 50-50 here. If they said, hey, we'll give you $46,000 in Bitcoin or $46,000 in Drew Estate stock, I'd take the stock all day, every day. I'd take the Bitcoin. Right. And uh, But it'd be interesting to see what the overall you breakdown take, on the big picture is. You would take stock in a tobacco company in 2021 America over a Bitcoin. Over imaginary co- currency? Yes. You can convert it into U.S. dollars. So can you stock. But the... <laughs> But my point is the the Bitcoin has a much higher likelihood of increasing in value than a tobacco company stock in this day and age in this country. I, d- I doubt it. I think the Bitcoin is going to be imaginary currency. It's going to be laser disc. Okay. <laughs> and again, Bitcoin will eventually fall. I'm not denying that. Bitcoin will eventually Which go away. Which is what they're giving away here. But but you're anti-crypto completely. Absolutely. If you want to invest in crypto, set your money on fire, throw it out the window, maybe it'll hit a rich guy you can sue. you got about the same chances of a return. No, you don't. I'll tell you what, Bit, uh, crypto is here to stay. And so after I'm going to look up four of, that's five, five of the biggest cryptocurrencies in in circulation right now after we wrap up the show. And I'm going to look at the the stock. Do we want, I guess it's Swisher. It wouldn't be Drew Estate because they don't they're not publicly traded up on their own. I'll look up the stock price of Swisher, and we'll come back and we'll assume an investment of a thousand dollars today. We will come back next year and figure out which would have performed the best. Uh, but to make it a fair, fair and even, so you're going to choose five different currencies versus one. I should get to choose five mutual funds versus five five of these imaginary currencies and see which one wins. So, okay. All right. How about this? $1,000 in Swisher stock compared to $1,000 spread out over those five cryptos. Not accurate. $1,000 in Swisher stock versus $1,000 in Bitcoin. Okay, fine. That's, th- that's the only way it's accurate. It's still accurate they're either giving way. Because away Bitcoin. They're not giving away the, the yes, other but, four. But I'm attacking your hatred of all crypto, not just Bitcoin itself. Well, but if you, wanna, is, if you want to look at Bitcoin, absolutely. And I will give you a, a cigar for the winner. Cigar for the winner. All a right. gentleman's wager. And uh, I'm just saying this is, a, this is a good way to launder drug money and really nothing else. And all this, the NFT thing, the NFT thing has came and went very quick. Uh, the, the NFT thing is stupid. Now, it uses the same technology as crypto, but the way it's using it, I don't, uh, it doesn't make sense to me outside of a money laundering scheme. Anyway, let's hit one more before okay, we go. Okay, let's over. talk about something that we can both get behind. Caldwell's Long Live the King Mad Mofo Supporting Cigars for Warriors. So, the Mad Mofo used to actually be called the BMF. Right. And Fuente sent them a cease and desist saying we have a BBMF. Nope. It was the Mad MF, and oh, it was Mad my MF. father that came after him. Okay. I knew it was It was some of it that. Was, I mean, you were close enough. I could have let it slide, but oh, that's okay. Captain Pedantic has to strike again. Um, so the Mad Mofo, which I've smoked and I really like, I've not smoked in this size. This is the Robusto size. So this is a good idea for charity. Instead of pulling a cigar out that nobody's ever heard of and releasing it, why not have a cigar that everybody likes that you can buy and support? Isn't this the same man that sat across from me three weeks ago and said that if you're going to have a limited edition release, it better be a new blend? Yes. Okay. And... But this is a charity cigar. This is not a... Oh, so they get a pass because it's for charity. Okay. I'm I'm just like the government and taxes. If you're a church, you get a little break. (laughs) I'll give them a little break on this. And also, it's to support Cigars for Warriors, which we've talked about quite a bit and what a great program it is and everything. Um, the lid of the box, I'm just doing this because it's aggravates Trey. The lid of the box includes a number of significant dates for American troops in the, matil- in the military, from the birth of the U.S. Army to the start of the war in Afghanistan and the invasion of Iraq. And for some reason, the launch of the U.S. Space Force. I thought that was a little silly. But that's that's Robert. Like, I can totally see the inclusion of of the launch of the Space Force as, as being included here. What I don't understand is why they included the start of the war in Afghanistan, October 7th of 2001, but failed to highlight the, the our entering into World War II in 19... 19- in the 40s. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I can understand that, but they 
I don't know. But now, why do they have 614-775 three times? What happened on 614-1775? I'm, I'm sure three things. Uh, <laughs> it's brilliant operations like that that make you the best in the business. <laughs> I'm going to look that up in the break. Because I'm inclined to say Lexington and Concord, but I don't, I don't know that with any, with any accuracy. Things and stuff. Okay, that's, that's terribly descriptive. But anyway, um, good, you know, good charity. And I'll tell you what, I think I will like this cigar in the Robusto. It may be one of the few that I like in the Robusto because it's a little much in the 6x60. What happened in 1775? Oh, I I typoed and I put 1975, and it was a Saturday under the sign of Gemini. So <laughs> the birth that was the birth of the U.S. Army. Oh, uh, okay. And I'll 70, but okay, bicentennial is was seven seven or is 76. Right. So we had an army before we were a country, which makes sense. You kind of need an army to have a country. At least if you're going to found one the way we did. So, a lot of good stuff going on. Was there any other way to found one? <laughs> I can't imagine. Other, other than kicking the other guy's butt out of your country, there's really not another way to found a country. They don't, <laughs> they don't just give those away in writing, regardless of how much you browbeat them. It's not going to happen. <laughs> and also... Well, some of them, like, Hawaii was its own nation of people before U.S. invaded. And so there was no declaration of war. There was no. Th- it was, it was a single island nation. Right. But if Hawaii had been, if Hawaii today wanted to become its own nation, they would have to have an army and have a war. You know, it's pretty simple that yeah, that's to, the way it works. It's, yeah, but I'm saying it's not and the I'm way saying, it always has always worked. Oh no, it's the way. If somebody else owns your country and you want to go independent. Nobody has ever gone quietly into that night. No, I understand, but I'm saying there were there were instances where there wasn't foreign rule first. In which case, right, but then you're but then you're just creating a country. You're not becoming a country. You're just creating a country. How do you sleep at night with that circular logic running constantly like a hamster on a wheel? Like a baby, baby, <laughs> like a baby. I don't miss a night's sleep at all. But anyway, okay. Well, let's take a break. We're having a very Excited, and I think, and I don't think our topic's going to help that get any calmer because probably it, not. It varies greatly in our opinions, but we're going to step away for a break. When we come back, I want to talk about Fierro Tago's interactive, or Ferio Tago's interactive smart technology. We'll be back with that more after this. Back to the cigar cast is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting across from the man. The waitress offered him a kangaroo burger, and he said, "No, thank you. It makes me jumpy." Mr. Trey Denman. <laughs> I've, I've I've eaten kangaroo meat. Did it make you jumpy? A little bit, <laughs> a little bit. Well, I actually had. I a, just had this compulsion to start stuffing things in my pockets. It was really <laughs> weird. Well, I actually had the chance. I know I'm becoming an old man so fast. I mean, from 45, it's downhill so fast, man. I'm, I'm not hitting the brakes, and I'm just leaning into the skid at this point. I got a question, something that came up in a, another conversation. That's okay. I won't finish the story. Go ahead. <laughs> you can go back to the story. <laughs> no, I'm giving you I'm giving you a hard time. What was the first time that you felt old? Like, what was the, what was the moment... In your life, what was the thing that happened? You go, oh, I'm old now. When I realized I couldn't finish a whole cigar without having to go pee. That's a good one. And uh, that was that was really I really when I started noticing that in the mornings when I would sit down and have a morning cigar, that I would have to stop in the middle of that cigar and go pee. I knew that I am getting old. Yeah, I get that. And uh, that was that was the first indicator. Not gray hair, not anything else. No, it's always that. it's it's always an event. It's never something as as simple as a, a crow's foot or a wrinkle or a gray hair. Well, I went to Burger Up today for lunch. Place here in Cool Springs. I'm sure they got them everywhere. And I'll, it's a Nashville chain. Okay, and I'm great all farm sourced, which really don't matter to me. I just want a good burger. I don't care whose farm you grew to cow on. Um, but went there because they had a pimento cheeseburger, and I was in the mood for a pimento and cheeseburger. 
and all. And at the end of the, the lady said, yeah, you should have ordered the sliders because then you could have tried two varieties of our burgers. She said, I said, oh, okay, well, I'll come now. I'll definitely have the sliders next time so that I can try different burgers and see which one I like better. And she said, yeah, and we've got new meat coming in, and one of it's going to be kangaroo. And I, and I couldn't resist. I had to say, well, I don't eat kangaroo. It makes me jumpy. And then, and then she gave me the, the groan and the look. Like I, I knew at that point I was an old man in her eyes. Oh, yeah. I could have farted. Well, she thought it was cute. You were also probably the 30th person who said the exact same thing to her. So? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. She didn't act like she had heard that a whole bunch. She, it was more a groan than a not again with the jumpy comment. And all, but she probably will get that a bunch more from now on. Yeah. Matter of fact, she'll probably quit mentioning the kangaroo burger for that very reason. And I'll... So, Humida Group. Or, well, tell me what you're thinking of the Fiat Lux. I'm really digging it. Uh, I feel like it, after about the first inch, it has settled into what it's going to be, or at least what it has been since then. I'm a little over halfway through it now. I'm still getting that, that very earthy, not campfire, wood, wood-burning fireplace flavor. Um, it still tastes like Christmas. There, there's yeah. that s- subtle spice, not like black pepper spice, but more like uh, star anise or allspice or cumin. You know, um, uh, Cordoba Morales is making that season series. And if they had made this cigar and called it the autumn, I'd have been 100% on board. Yeah. Because it does taste like autumn. It does. It does taste like it's getting cooler and drier out. It just—it's really a good flavor. And it's perfect for today. You know, we were talking at the top of the show about what the weather's done just overnight here. I wonder if we smoked this in mid-July, if it would still taste like Christmas to us. I'm curious. And I will have—we'll have to come back and smoke it again when you're when you're by. Hey, that cigar you're going to buy me when Bitcoin's belly up is going to be one of Fiat these. Fiat Lux. Okay. <laughs> and I'll just so you know. And a Humidif Group makes Ferriotega interactive with smart technology. So this is becoming the trend, and this is a trend I like, where they put a QR code on the box, you scan it with your phone, and it tells you about the cigar, where it's made, and all of those things. And I'll, um, they've started doing that. Last year, Olivia started this, um, started this QR code thing. And now Ferry Otega, when they're released, is actually going to do that. And this is the people doing the Nat Sherman stuff. I've actually seen one of the Placencias with the smart chip. They've got them up at Reserva. Did you scan it? No, I didn't. I didn't. But uh, I just saw it yesterday. Do you I walk would... by a button that says push and don't push it? No. Uh, <laughs> it w- how do you not scan it when you when you see a chip on a cigar? How do you not take a moment to scan it? Yeah, because I was kind of in the middle of some other things at the time. Um, but it is it is such a cool concept, and I love the way it presents itself. So, wasn't Ferry Otego one of the companies that we spoke about recently as having a celebrity endorsement? Wasn't that? No. Okay. No, I th- ain't Ferry Otego the ones doing the timeless? Doing that, the Nat Sherman stuff. Okay, I knew we had talked we about, them, about them last okay. week. Yeah, that's that, what it was. That's what it is. They're doing the timeless. They're doing all the Nat Sherman stuff, and all that we talked about on last week's show. Yeah, that's Herklotz's new company. Yeah, and also, phone browser works with the chip, which is embedded in the box, showing multimedia information, videos, cigar descriptions, authenticity verification, and general company data. Hey, all I want. His, I want to scan it. I want to see the day the cigar was made and who made it. Yeah. That's it. I don't need a video on how to smoke it. I don't need to know the story behind it, though I wouldn't be opposed to it in certain circles. Yeah, it looks, from the image, it looks like the just the blurb you would get in Aficionado. It does uh, blender's notes, flavor profile, origin, filler binder, wrapper, and <laughs> but speaking on behalf of somebody that does a weekly podcast on cigars, it would be nice instead of having to look them up every week if we could just shoot that code and mm-hmm. and have our. I mean, it's like us a little show prep time. It would. It it definitely would. It would also be something that that we should really do a, a better job at keeping track. Uh, there for a while, I did keep track of what we rated various cigars, but I got out of the habit. Yeah, I can see that. And also coming back. I want to talk about 
I had the most unique experience ever last Friday in this very store. Um, come in, and Fred was sitting over here with a man, and came up, and he said, hey, this is my friend Daniel. And I looked, and he had a cigar between in his foot, between his big toe and second toe, and was holding it there, and it was because he had no arms. Daniel was built, born without arms. And um, he was actually still born without arms. Mm. And the doctors gave these parents the choice, and they said, no, we want the baby, so they brought the baby back. And uh, and he's a motivational speaker now. Of course. And he was here out of North Carolina, and he was up at the bar, and he got his bag out, got his wallet out, went over, sat down with his cigar, got a cutter out, did all this with his feet. Got a cutter out, clipped the cigar, lit the cigar, everything with his feet sitting right there. So Fred, being Fred, who's such a great guy, I got to go meet this guy. So he went over there and sat down and started talking to Daniel. And then Michael, who's one of our blind people that come in here, this great guy, and an absolutely brilliant man, his wife, who's an artist and just the sweetest human being ever been, they're all sitting down. So it was such a... Ain't it wild? Is there anywhere in this world besides a cigar lounge that everybody could come together like that and just sit around and talk and enjoy themselves? Yeah, it's, you know, I think we have talked so much on this show over the last several years about how, you know, people from all walks of life find their way into this shop. And we even, uh, I haven't seen them in a while, but we used to have a couple of deaf guys that would come in and sit most of the time watching football. Oh, yeah, I remember them. Yeah. And it really, I mean, I think the, you know, having a person born without arms sitting at a table with a blind guy having a conversation over cigars is just the perfect encapsulation. I think it's an extreme encapsulation of exactly that principle. Well, and it was what what really impressed me the most about Michael, or not Michael, about Daniel, was there's a lot of things that impressed me about Michael, don't get me wrong, but what we're talking about Daniel. What impressed me most about Daniel was his demeanor. If you were sitting there talking to Daniel, you catch yourself actually forgetting that he didn't have arms. Until you've seen him, you know, take a puff of his cigar or pick up his bag or do something like that, you would actually forget that he didn't have arms because his demeanor, the way he carried himself, his mental posture was so amazing. Yeah. Just to sit and talk to him. And he's got a wife. He's got kids. He's got a lovely family. He's a pastor. And he does motivational speaking. He's written two books using a keyboard and his big toe. Mm-hmm. And also, just a, a, when he goes to Enterprise, he rents a regular car. Really? And he uses his right foot to work the pedals and his left foot to drive. Yeah, makes sense. And I wouldn't. Okay, I'm, what about when a cop pulls you over? Is that not. <laughs> that would be interesting. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine that probably doesn't always go well to start. I, th- I think I think once a police officer pulls him over, I think it's I think it's interesting. I think police officer, his bearing is such that I don't think it I don't think it really matters. So, one of the things we like to talk about on the show, and I alluded to it, is mental posture. Right. You know, I spent the weekend with some people who are no people, and everything they did was, we're going to start from no, and you're going to have to talk us into a yes. Right. And that's the most exhausting people to spend time with. Holy cow. That's just, there's very few people. I can take a chronically negative person and all because I can kind of get to where they're coming from on some stuff. And I can also ignore them. But no people are just hard people for me to deal with. Because I start everything with a yes and then you have to work your way to a no. Yeah, I think there's, unless we're talking about Bitcoin. they Bitcoin's already worked its way to a no. No, it started as a no for you. The, I mean, I definitely see... I, the, I'm surrounded by no people in certain... There are certain corners of my life that where I am more inclined to encounter no people. And as a result of that, I tend to stay away from those arenas. You know, it... it I can certainly appreciate a healthy pessimism or cynicism if it's earned but when you start talking about this 
about, like you said, everything starts at a no. It, regardless of any past experience, regardless of any current data, everything is just no. Yeah, it, it becomes impossible to have any sort of meaningful com- conversation. It's There's an old... Did you ever watch Monty Python's Flying Circus? No. There was one of the... You're going to have to look this up. The, one of the most iconic and my favorite sketches is called The Argument Clinic. And the character walks in and he says, hi, I'd like to have an argument, please. And she goes, sure, go down to room 12. And, it, you know, and so the whole joke is that you just, as a, as a you know, stiff upper lip British guy, sometimes you want to have an argument. And so you go to this. And the, the sketch dissolves down into the everything the one guy says, the other guy just says, no, it isn't. And, and that's, that's the humor of, of the sketch, is the fact that that's not an argument. Um, and that, that's what I think of when I start dealing with people like this. Well, not only that, if your standby answer is always no, your no means less. Um, one of the most powerful things that I do when I'm doing home plans is tell a customer no. There comes a point where a customer asks for something that is not good, that is foolish, that is not going to bear fruit, that's going to just be a pain. I just say no. I just say no. We're not going to do that. And I'll and they and the smart customers just accept that, and the other customers want to argue back and forth. And that's how I discern: do they want to be successful or do they want to be right? Right. You know, the couple I fired a couple of weeks ago wanted to be right more than they wanted to be successful, so I let them go. I just said, nope, I'm not the guy for you. And I'll, but I had a I had a coworker just yesterday that got. Uh, all fired up about something that happened outside of anyone's control, but it, it it just it devolved into a bit of an argument about you know this was done wrong, this was done wrong, this was done wrong, blah blah blah. And so I approached this person, and basically said, I understand you're frustrated. The people you're mad at are frustrated too. Let's come together. Let's not worry about who's at fault. Let's figure it out. Let's move forward and and make sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah, because that's all you can do. Yeah, but I still haven't gotten a response or heard from that person in two days. Yeah, that's their problem. Yeah, but it's that it's that perfect example of what was more concerned about appearing to be right than actually fixing the problem. Well, and so this all leads to an Art of Manliness article called The One Question Not to Ask for Healthy Introspection. And introspection's a big part of my life. It's a very valuable <laughs> part of my life, and it's it's been nice to... As you and I talk after the show, I get to see certain aspects of my personality that could use some work, and I get to see different perspectives on it. Because, you know, we agree on remarkably little. <laughs> there's there's quite a bit, but we always do it respectfully. We, I think you and I, most of the time, agree on whether or not 2 plus 2 equals 4. We disagree on how we arrive at the answer. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can understand that. So the Art of the Manualist article, I'm not going to read it verbatim because there's no reason to. And it's a long article. Yeah. But basically, um, it states the worst thing you can ask is why. See, and I disagree with this, but I appreciate what they're trying to, what they're trying to say. So actually, let me stop. Do you want... Did you have a point on that, or did you want to go to what they say the replacement word is? Well, I want to go to this as it relates to mental posture, okay. so please, go ahead. All right. So, th- they're... At your pleasure, sir. <laughs> so, their suggestion is instead of asking why, ask what. And there's a lot of... there's a, It makes a lot of sense. Rather than saying, why am I fat, say, what do I need to do to lose weight? You know, it puts it as a, at a more actionable approach. You know, things like, why is my life terrible? Why don't people like me? Why do I keep getting fired? All of those are sort of detrimental to a healthy mental posture. And while I get that, I personally believe it's important to start from a why, but not stop with why. So, you know, why do I hate my job is a good question to ask so that you can start to curate the, the, 
list of what do I need to make sure, what are my deal breakers for my next job? And I, so I like asking why. I like taking that broad approach. I, I like starting at the bottom of the pyramid and working my way up. And I, and I think asking, I think if you just ask, why is life terrible? Why does everyone hate me? Why, 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 why? And never turn it into action or never devolve further into how it affects me. Yeah, that's an unhealthy approach. Yeah, I think, and I think this is what I get from the article. This gist of the article is, why is part of the question but not part of the solution? What is the solution? Right. What comes from what the, you know, what the solution should be? So when you say, and you and I talk about this all the time, um, we're both prone. One of the things we share in common is when we have conflict with someone, what did I do that led up to this? Mm -hmm. What role did I play in this situation becoming what it is? And I think that's a very healthy mental posture when you first look look to yourself. And especially, you know, comparison is the theft of joy. Why does he make more money than I do? Why does he have opportunities that I don't have? Why, you know, why that? I think that's a totally unhealthy because that's leading you into comparison. And I, and I don't think, um, I don't think, you, I don't think comparison is valuable in very little when it comes to self-introspection. Yeah, I get. I was prepared to disagree with you, but the way you finished that sentence, I, I, I think I agree. Yeah, it's a, so your mental posture in life, as you're grooming your mental posture, and this is not something people take enough time to do, and I really think you should groom your mental posture. You know, I spend a lot of time constructing conversations before I have them. And I'll, I'll, I'll spend weeks working on a conversation. If I had something important to say to you, something that I felt that I needed to enter into your life, I would construct that conversation over the course of a couple of weeks. Right. I would never on spur of the moment say, oh, I should tell, I should tell Trey this. I would always construct it because your approach is just as important as the way, what you're asking them to do. Uh, the band Skank and Pickle has a great song. I find that hard to believe. And they've got several great songs. <laughs> they named themselves Skank and Bickle. That was not one of their good decisions. Well, it was the 90s. And, but the, 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 the chorus goes, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Only it's a ska song, so it's, there's a lot more, like, but with a trumpet. <laughs> well, you know, the art of leadership is a lot about how you, you know, leading people... You know, I've said, you know, and I'm not, and I don't want to get super political, but I've said this now for a couple of weeks. I firmly believe if instead of saying, we're going to require vaccine passports and we're going to require you to be vaccinated to be employed and we're going to require, we're going to require, require, if they had just come out and said, hey, here's the truth, folks, everybody's eventually going to be exposed to COVID. And do you want to be exposed with a vaccine or without a vaccine? And presented it to people from that standpoint, instead of trying to tell people what to do, tell people, here's the data. It clearly shows that this is what's going to happen, and would you like to be prepared? And I think that would be far more effective than telling people, if you don't do what we say, we're going to do this to you. You, you and I definitely do disagree on this point, um, and there's really no way to know which is right or not because it's not like we've got a time machine and we can go change the the approach and measure the outcome i do think i mean i i do think people have a a gut reaction to being told what to do i mean that's just inherent that goes back to childhood um i but i also know that there are just like there are people whose default answer is no there's people who you tell them something you're going to do, and rather than ask why not, they ask why. You know, it all. There are also always going to be people that don't listen to reason, and I don't think changing the messaging that came out would have done. At least around the COVID thing, I don't think it would have made a discernible impact. My evidence empirically 
proves would my from my personal experiences from the people I have talked to about becoming vaccinated anecdotally not empirically anecdotally my anecdotal experience of talking to people just saying you're going to get exposed would you like to have a vaccine or not that not getting exposed is not an option and all there's really not an option where you're not at some point going to get exposed would you rather roll the dice that you're going to get a mild case, roll the dice that you're one of the percentage that doesn't get symptoms, or would you rather have the vaccine? And I'll, because I, I firmly believe education is far superior in motivation than fear. And I think if fear of losing your job, fear of not being able to travel, fear of hurting, hurting your neighbor is what you're trying to use, you're not using a tool that's going to ever be, benefit. I think, I mean, I, I think that's I think that's true. I mean, anybody who has trained a dog, raised kids, tried to train a cat, I don't know why you would. Uh, we all know that, that, you know, presenting the back of your hand is the least effective way. But that's not to say it's ineffective. Um, I am... That's not the method I use. But... You know, we all know people who would not listen to their parents until their dad took the belt off, right? So we do know we do know that throughout human history, fear has been used as a motivator to great effectiveness. And it, again, that's not the most effective or efficient use, but it has worked. And I think I, I think to to ignore that uh, does a disservice to the completeness of the discussion. We have more data available, good or bad, data available to us at any given point in the day now than we've ever had in our life, than we've ever had in human history. So when you had fearful natives that didn't have access to the World Book Encyclopedia, um, it was fear was a more valuable tool and all but now that you, we're not all fearful natives no but at the same time we now living in the age of information we also live in the age of disinformation that is spreading at every bit as rapidly a pace and so for every for every peer-reviewed article that I find to defend my position, you can find one to defend your position based on the same data set. And, the, and I, what I, as someone who spent, has spent a career analyzing data as a, in some form or another, I can tell you the biggest detriment we have as a society is the fact that not everybody understands how to get good data. I have spent a career organizing data, and organizing data involves a lot more, a lot of culling of certain data that are just wrong. Right. And I'll, um, geothermal heating and cooling being a prime example. Um, I won't go into the reasons why geothermal is bad because that's not what this podcast is about. But I will say, the ability to organize data has been invaluable in my life in that the ability to organize, okay, something don't sound right about what he just told me. And 98% of the time, I can look and find, okay, yeah, here's why it don't sound right, because it ain't. And there's a lot of that. You can always find data to support your position. But at the end of the day, we're all, we're all equipped with a Model 1 brain. We're all pretty well able to say, okay, something don't sound right about that. What's what's going to bring that moment of clarity? But what you're talking about, in the not accusing you of this, just speaking in the global sense, is not liking the answers presented by a data set, and so finding a data set that supports your preconceived uh, assumptions. And that's, that's what I think we need to be in fear of right now. I think that's what's causing the issues is the fact that is that there is everyone's got this idea of you know data science and statistics is math there is a right and a wrong answer or there is a right answer and tens of thousands of wrong answers so 
not agreeing with the conclusions is not the same thing as it being inaccurate conclusions. But I'm certain that in the time of leeches, when the doctor said, oh, I need to bring leeches in and take off your bad blood, there was a lot of people that said, you know, that don't really make a lot of sense to me. And as it turns out, it didn't. Regardless of how much of the leech literature there was out there for the doctor to present, at the end of the day, what's right feels, you, you feel it. You feel that moment of clarity when you know something is right. And I think... I think fear is the tool that the weak per- that the person uses with a weak argument. You know, it's it's the tool that somebody uses when they're losing the argument. And says, "Oh, well, you must have this preconceived notion." And uh, I think well, fear but, is. But human nature, we all have preconceived notions about everything. It's called right. unconscious bias. But don't use fear to try to dispel it. That's the weak way around it. The smart way around it is to actually speak on an intelligent level to somebody to respect yeah, their Yeah, but the thoughts. nature of the society we live in today says that it doesn't matter how well-formed your argument, you're not going to change the opinion of 80% of people. No, I, tra- I disagree. I've changed too many opinions to agree with that. I've had too many people walk into my office that were fans of geothermal heat and cooling that walked out of my office saying, oh, what he said is true. I've had too many people walk into my office that not a fan of foam insulation that have walked out of my office saying, he explained the physics of it. It makes perfect sense to me. In my life, I have never motivated anybody by fear. I have always sought to motivate people by knowledge. Yes, but you're talking about scenarios which are predicated not by emotional bias. And I think that's, I think that makes a huge difference. A no one a, gets emotional about foam insulation. Oh, they do. People, I, a house is a very, very emotional subject. And I, I tell people all the time, by the time I'm done designing your house, only your doctor knows you better. Because there is a lot of emotion into your home. It's the biggest investment in most people's life. And I navigate those pathways every day. And I could use fear to try to navigate those pathways, but it would be to such a greater degree of success less that I don't. There, there is no degree of success through fear as a motivational tool, but we've, we've strayed from the topic tremendously. Um, so, to put a bow on it, what is the mental posture that a person should seek to to gender in their self. This is going to be interesting because I know you and I will disagree on this because I don't think there I don't think there is any I I believe that or I would suspect that you believe there is a single answer to that question. I believe in scoreboards. And when I look at the scoreboard of people that have had a successful life that I would like to emulate and that have had successes that I would like to see happen abroad that even don't involve me. When I look at successful people, there are certain mental postures they possess which always yield fruit. Such as? One, be a yes person. When somebody comes to you with it, don't look for a reason to say yes. Start with yes and then then analyze the data and see if a no makes sense. But don't start from no. Be a yes person. I say I think I think if you're talking about an overall philosophy that makes sense, but there are times to say no that you know without having to analyze the data. Yes, but I put a tremendous amount of faith in people smarter than me. And I'll, and I don't believe I'm the smartest man the, to walk the planet. I don't even believe I'm the smartest man in the room in most cases. Success comes from finding people smarter than you and utilizing them well, utilizing the tools of their experience. You know, um, experiential learning is great, but being able to look at somebody with experience and get the benefit of their experience is far more valuable. Well, it saves a lot of time. Yeah, you don't have to touch the stove to know it's hot. If someone said, I touched the stove when I was young and it burned me, and you're able to say, okay, then... But this is induction. <laughs> well, if you said, okay, then... 
I'm not going to do that. And also, successful people, the successful people I've dealt with, especially I've had the pleasure of dealing with some very successful leaders in my life, some people that were just absolutely wonderful, wonderful leaders. They made you want to work for them, work with them, and get behind the ideals they were there. And all of those people started from a yes. Rarely, I've never seen a successful person that started from a no. The other thing, the other key, and I could sit here and talk about this all night, but we're not going to. Well, we probably will. We'll just turn the mics off. Yeah, we'll probably turn the mics off and talk about it the rest of the night. The other thing is gratitude. Be grateful. You know, um, Daniel was grateful every day he got up. He had no arms, but he made life wonderful for himself and made a a beautiful life for himself because he was grateful to be here. He was grateful for what God had given him. He was grateful for what the people around him given him. He was grateful to get to sit down and enjoy a cigar with all of us that day. So being grateful is one of the the greatest gifts you can give to yourself. Oh, absolutely. You know, and and don't get joy out of finding the fault in others. Yeah, I think think that's a universal truth. Yeah. 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 Get, Get rid of the schadenfreude. Yeah, finding the have you know, and I'm I'm the farthest person to talk about empathy, but I do have empathy for people that have had different experiences in life, but I don't have empathy for people that have had those experiences and keep doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, I've got nothing to. <laughs> that's that's right. I I think I think we have this conversation to death. <laughs> But, all righty. Well, that's the Cigar Cast for this week. Why don't you tell them how to get a hold of us? You can reach us at facebook.com slash the Cigar Cast, Instagram and Twitter at the Cigar Cast, and email info at the thecigarcast.com. So rate the Fiat Lux. I agree with your suggestion to come back and smoke this cigar in the middle of the summer. Because right now, I'm at like a six and a quarter on this. I have thoroughly enjoyed this cigar. This is definitely a six all day long for me. I'll be interested to revisit it on a future podcast and see if it holds that rating. Yeah. But it's definitely a six for me all day long. Um, Probably couldn't talk me up to a six and a half very easy because it does lack some of the key elements that go into a seven and we can do a whole podcast on what are the elements that create a seven. Right. I, I do. But I also notice that for me, that spice flavor is something that attracts me a lot more than it does you in most cases. And that, and, and again, talking like cumin, talking about spice, like rich ethnic food type spice. And so I can, I have a feeling even when we do revisit this, I'll still probably be a quarter to a half above what your rating is. Probably will be, and I'll, because I, I don't want to be overly generous with my ratings, and I'll, from the standpoint, if everything's a seven, what's a seven? I am, speaking of which, I am going to make you so angry when we rate our cigar next week. <laughs> but great cigar, great times. Thanks, everybody, for listening this week. Until next week, have a good cigar and think well of us. Mm-hmm.